following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 719 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, joined today by the lovely, talented, and scholarly Brittany Page. We are still kind of in the process of getting things normalized. Are you talking about the move? Yes. We are no longer moving. No. Now we're settling. Yeah. <laughs> And that's taking some time. We do want to give a shout out to all the people that reached out to us, though, and said that the sound of the show was normal, that they didn't notice anything different. That was very nice. Well, I now that once as soon as we stopped and I have to edit the few places that we edit, mm-hmm. I realized that was the case. That it was normal. That it was pretty, pretty OK. Yeah. Which is completely different from the YouTube videos. I mean, we use different microphones. Yeah. So that. Makes yeah. a big difference. <laughs> anyway. But it was... I don't want to, you know, explain how the sausage is made. Yeah. Because that'll really set you off. Yeah. As it always does. Correct. Yeah. One of the favorite things, one of your favorite things about the move, I think, is the new Alex A, is what I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. I don't want to make it come alive. But we had been... we just call it the Jeff Bezos wiretap? Sure, because that's what it is, and that's what I was just going to say, is we had been, uh, we were hesitant to bring one into our living environment, and we had a conversation about it, and ultimately decided we have the phones in our pockets, Well, I'm... We, we were searching things online all day long, and... Yeah, I'm asking the Apple Assistant... All day long. I don't even want to say that because <laughs> what do you need? <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm I'm getting kind of nerdy about it. it it's pretty helpful. <laughs> Be, well, well, let me sell it. Let me sell it. Okay. You know how it is. We no longer have an Amazon affiliate link. You know that, right? Yeah. Well, I'm not trying to sell it. I'm trying to sell it to you. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't talk to it. I don't talk to the Apple assistant either. I don't talk to anyone, in fact. Well, I'm talking about in the studio here. Mm-hmm. I've got several lights, three, two, five different lights yeah. that shine on my dumb face when I do videos. Mm-hmm. And this room is not big. So it's me having to stumble around and click the light over there. Yeah. Click the light over here. There's a whole set over here. Now, because I, I nerded out and got like the smart plugs, mm-hmm. <laughs> I just tell the Jeff Bezos wiretap. Yeah. To turn on the studio lights or turn them off. Yeah. And they just come on like magic. It is pretty cool. It's very cool. I'm nerdily excited about You're it. You're beaming with pride right now. Yeah, I, I bought three extra or two other sets. So we have four other, uh, extra plugs mm-hmm. that I'm like, ooh, what can I automate? Oh, what are you going to do next? I haven't thought of anything. No. <laughs> so apparently I'm not thinking too hard about it. Well, that was a letdown. But it is, but it is, you know, it's a, it's a time saver. And I don't know if anybody else out there hosts a podcast or does anything with music and microphone cords or cables or cords and cables are the bane of my existence. Yeah. And Popeyes. Because I am clutch. Oh, yeah. That's, it's the worst. He I'm, prefers I, to lay on them. Yeah, I drag. I'm, I'm tripping over everything. It's not great. He will. He has a bed in the studio that he can lay in, and instead he chooses to like put his face on a power surge. Yeah, he does. Electrical outlet thing, <laughs> or some other hard, scary object. Well, in the other studio, he would invariably put his face right up against the caster of your chair. Yeah. And I would have to like, don't roll around because you're going to roll over his cheek flap. Yeah. <laughs> and that's going to be terrible. Yeah. So. He he doesn't feel pain, though. He's strong. Well, he's, I think, more impervious to pain than other breeds because he's just a 
a meat-headed bulldog. Yeah, yesterday he smashed his face into the kitchen cabinet uh, trying to get a carrot. I seriously thought there was going to be blood. And he just... Which is like my favorite movie. Bounced right back and looked up at us and wanted more carrots. So... Apparently, I said something that set the Apple Assistant, the Apple wiretap, off. Yeah. What did you say? I have no idea. So, we appreciate everyone with their patience and their love and their support sending it our way as we moved through this process all month. And now we are finally getting to the point where it's normalizing. It was pretty exhausting because I work all week, you work all week, and then... On the weekend, it was like constant moving, constant go, go, go. Yeah, yeah. And it will be nice once all this is settled to just not have to do that and have some free time. Yeah, and and again, to, to, to further the point about thanking everybody for their patience and their love and their support, it has been, for you, it's very nerve-wracking that we're letting everybody down. Yeah. I don't know why I act like that, but for me, fuck you guys, I don't care. <laughs> that's well, because that's I- how it is. <laughs> <laughs> You're not acting like anything. <laughs> <laughs> but it is a heightened sensitivity for Brittany Page. Yeah. That are people going to be mad? That's the thing. Because t- typically when we skip an episode or postpone, it's because of me. Mm-hmm. I pull the trigger on that decision. And y- what your thing is, is, is everybody going to be mad? Yeah. Everybody is going to be mad. I'm like, well, there are for sure going to be people who are not happy but hey, man, we got to put out a good product here. Yeah, yeah. Or as good as we can. Yes. And uh, I got to be on my game. No, it's true. And also, we get a lot of very kind messages from people that are like, I wish that this podcast was three times a week, four times a week, five times a week. Little do they know they are just stressing you the fuck out. And I'm like, that would be... <laughs> That would be great, but on top of everything else, I have a full-time job outside of this, you know, like on top of everything else that's going on, yeah. I we, we couldn't do that as is right now. Now, in the future, would we like to move more in that direction? The answer is yes, but right now, we just take that message and we're like, wow, people really love the show, care about what we're doing, not Kathy who left the review and doesn't want to hear about our personal lives at all. She, but, she flipped this off long ago. Yeah, but everyone what? else, it's... <laughs> Jeff Bezos wiretap? You have what in your home? Oh, this is infuriating! <laughs> she yeah. probably opened a new iTunes account Yeah. to just to leave another shitty review about how much she fucking hates our lives. Yeah. I think that, that you just gave her an idea. <laughs> it's going to happen. But we, we really appreciate it, and we had to bump our January Hangouts on Patreon. So if you are in the tier for the Patreon Hangouts, those are going to be this Friday, the 5th, at 7 p.m. Los Angeles time, and on Saturday the 6th at 11 a.m. Los Angeles time. And so- if you've never joined us for a Patreon call, I mean, it's not like a great party because it's just us hanging out and... There's no agenda. It's not like you watching a show. No. If you're showing up thinking that you're going to be entertained. <laughs> uh, be careful. Yeah, not so much. Yeah. Well, entertained by all the listeners. We're not doing a show. Yeah, just hang it's like a it's like a friend happy hour Zoom call. Yeah, that's what it is. You it's ex- join. It's exactly what it is. Come talk about what's on your mind and talk about it, process it with us and it's a, it's always a good time. Right on. All right, well, there has been a bunch going on in the news, but before we get to that, let's get to a voicemail. If you have never sounded off, you've never asked a question, you've never gotten your opinion on the record, that is what we're here for, to amplify your voice, 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Hey, Jesse and Brittany. Uh, it's Rebecca from Atlanta. You know, I got a lot of thoughts rattling in my head right now, but this is what is just going on in my mind at this exact second. I'm uh, listening to NPR News now, and they're talking about uh, them trying to, you know, move forward with COVID, a COVID relief plan, um, passing a bill and whatnot, talking about how they would like a uh, nonpartisan solution, even though they don't have Republican support. And this is what I don't understand. Any 
COVID relief bill is nonpartisan. Like, I don't, I don't understand. I know Trump put his best effort forward to turn the pandemic into a political issue, and it's not the first time in our country that a pandemic has become a political issue. But like, bringing aid to people during a health crisis is not a political matter. It's not a partisan issue. It's a human issue. And like, okay, that phrase has been said acknowledging about so many things that have, you know, fallen to the wayside because of political differences, even in our recent history. But it just drives me insane. It's like if a hurricane hit the entire country uh, and, and, and the government was trying to figure out a way to aid people who were affected by it, they would be like, oh, well, we want to come to a nonpartisan decision here. What? It doesn't make any sense. I don't, I don't understand it's because it's not a national disaster that you can see with the naked eye. <sighs> it's very frustrating. I don't know. That's all I had to say. I love you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. It is definitely rage-inducing. And I, listen, I, I I get, I understand exactly what she's saying, but it certainly is a partisan thing when you start talking about where different monies go. Certain states have higher levels of this population or that population. Uh, but, you know, when it, it's a great analogy talking about a hurricane. If there's hurricane relief, we just give the hurricane relief. Now, there's always your holdouts, your idiots like Ted Cruz or or Rand Paul. But for the most part, it's a bipartisan, universally understood thing that we need to get the money out. What really bothers me, doesn't surprise me at all, but it always bothers me, is how, especially with Republicans, it happens certainly with Democrats too, but they don't um, they don't adhere to their own dogma. Like the same Republicans right now that are saying, oh, 600 million not 1.9 trillion. We're going to give you like a fifth or some, whatever the stupid percentage is of the money that, that, that Joe Biden's calling for. They didn't say a fucking word about Donald Trump's $1.5 trillion deficits every single year that was budgeted. There was no emergency. We were in economic boom times. Donald Trump couldn't shut his fucking greasy burger hole for five minutes about how great an economy he built. Record-breaking. The likes of which have never been seen. And now, those same senators and Congress people who didn't have anything to say about that are wanting to screw over individual Americans who are in desperate need of financial assistance. Well, and you, I think I think you said there you weren't sure how much the cost was of Biden's plan. No, no. Um whether the 600 million if it's a fifth of I don't I didn't I can't do oh, the a math third. in my it's head. a third. It's a third of. Yeah. Yeah, so the Biden plan that's been proposed is 1.9 oh, trillion. Yeah, it's just slightly less than a third. That's and right. the Republican plan costs 30 uh 6 618 billion. Yeah, yeah. And it's more than just the individual payments that they want to reduce, though. So for Biden's plan, which is the American Rescue Plan, he's proposing the $1,400 to individuals, where Republicans are proposing $1,000 to individuals. If you're married, it's $1,400. If you're married in the Republican plan, it's $1,000. Um, if you have dependents in the Biden plan, you get $1,400 additional. If you have dependents in the Republican plan, you get $500 additional yeah. for all, all dependents. So there are definitely differences when it comes to the individual money. But they also, and Nicholas Kristof wrote an, uh, a fantastic article in the New York Times about this, specifically with child poverty. According to one study, Biden's American Rescue Plan could cut child poverty in America in half. And Republicans are wanting to have this curbed reduce the monies that are yeah. going toward reducing child poverty. And so it's those those individual payments are really important, but you also need to look at where where are those cuts coming from additionally in the Republican proposal. 
and it's you want you don't want as much money going to cut and reduce child poverty. No, they'd rather coddle and take care of business interest, corporate mm-hmm. welfare. That's the only kind of welfare they like. Mm-hmm. And this is the frustrating thing when it comes down to all this bipartisan legislation is. How many times do Democrats have to be burned in this process of being the ones that are going to say, "Okay, yes, we'll come to the table. We'll have a conversation about this in good faith. And next time when you have the power, you will also do this. Correct. Yeah, it's Charlie Brown and the football. I mean, Joe Biden is Charlie goddamn Brown. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to get it. No, Lucy's not going to pull the ball away this time. It was Lucy, right? Who Um, yanks the ball? Yes. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) seriously, it really is. And we're like not immediately trying to to torch the the filibuster. We're we're acting in good faith to the Republicans as though, like you just said, as though they would do the same. Forgetting all of the history of the past four years, all of the history of eight years of Obama and how the Republicans treated the opposition. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was no good faith. Yeah. You cannot trust Mitch McConnell. You cannot trust Mitch McConnell. If you're listening out there, someone in a position of power within the Democratic Party, you cannot trust Mitch McConnell. Well, and this isn't just about getting back at Republicans. What's actually at stake here is helping Americans. Yeah. So that's that's what really matters. And they're wanting to offer just a little a little less, a little less help in the midst of this pandemic, which has been going on for a year. I also want to say this. I don't want to hear. I mean, I do want to hear I, the my my heart says to fucking save it. If you've got defenses for Joe Biden and the administration and Congress, Democrats in Congress, like, well, it's only been 10 days. It's only been hum of the. I don't want to hear it. They have the House of Representatives. They have the Senate. They have the power. They have the majority. They have a mandate from the people after this election. No excuses will be tolerated. Especially if you're cozying up to and coddling Republicans to make sure they feel like it's fair. No, absolutely not. So let's run through a few other comparisons with Biden's proposal and the proposal from Republicans. As far as reopening schools goes, uh, Biden wants to allocate 130 billion for that, whereas Republicans want 50 billion. So 130 versus 50. Uh, As far as Aid to state and local governments. Biden is proposing $350 billion, where Republicans are proposing zero. For vaccine wow. testing and protective equipment, they're proposing the same, actually, which is $160 billion. Uh, they're also the same when it comes to grants and loans to businesses. That's $50 billion. And here's the big one for me. As far as aid to renters and landlords, Biden is proposing $30 billion, and Republicans are proposing zero. And I don't know. Unbelievable. I don't know what the plan is there. Again, um, evictions are still happening, by the way. The CDC extended the eviction moratorium to March 31st. California has done something that I think is good when you see it on paper. But in practice, these things are more complicated because landlords are finding loopholes. And there hasn't been a moratorium on filing evictions. Landlords can still file the evictions. And people will leave their houses because they are afraid and they think that they're going to kicked out, be kicked out. Yeah. They think the cops are going to show up and lock them out of their house. And so they leave before they're really forced to just because of the filing freaks them out. It is. I mean, that's the story of our life in California with Gavin Newsom as governor, that it looks good on paper. Mm-hmm. But then in execution, they, they miss the mark. Yeah. And one thing I was going to say that I like about the plan if it actually happens for people, is that uh, they're going to pay up to 80% of what is due in past rent for tenants to landlords as long as landlords do not evict. So it's... Are you talking about state or, or federal? That's California. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's a beautiful plan. Again, people are unfortunately still being evicted due to these these loopholes. But 
if if that can be implemented across the board, I think that that's a, a great solution to keep people in their homes in a pandemic. So these are just some of the differences between Biden's proposal and the Republicans. Can I whine one, a little bit longer about Gavin Newsom? Sure. And it, listen, this is another one. I'm just not I'm generally not a fan. I think he's a fucking hypocrite. He says one thing and then goes out and does another thing. Goes out and has a, a large family dinner at the French Laundry while everybody's on lockdown and not allowed to do it. He's just a hypocrite. He also has bad judgment. He used to be married to Kimberly Guilfoyle. But what did you tell me tonight? What did he say about teachers? That it's not important enough for teachers to be vaccinated, but well, they have to go back to school and open up schools. I don't know that that was the phrasing, but it, as, <laughs> far, as far as the return to schools goes... The guidelines are not going to say that vaccinations need to be in place for teachers prior to them returning to the classroom. Yeah, that's that's horseshit. Mm -hmm. It is an abdication of his duty to take care of the citizens of California, the residents of California. The teachers who educate our children in California, putting them in harm's way and not prioritizing their health and well-being. So not a fan. Can I jump back to Biden? Please. Yeah, let's get off of uh, Gavin Newsom. Yeah. So in positive news, as far as positive news goes. Positive news. Joe Biden, President Joe Biden. I keep calling him Biden, Joe, (laughs) being pretty lax. It's like in grad school when I was calling my professor by his last name. And with I, him in the room, I did it twice. Like I was just referring to him in this very casual way by his last name. And he looked at me and he said, doctor. And then his last name. I don't want to say what it is because <laughs> anyway, and I was horrified. Yeah, but you weren't you weren't referring to him like to his fa- You were referring to someone referring to him. And this person was saying Jones and Jones, Jones, Jones. And then he said, Dr. Jones. Yeah, it was... His name's not Jones. I know. Now it, now it feels like you're attacking Nikki Jones, who has been on the show a few times. No, That's not who Nikki. it was. That's not who it was. This so, was grad school. That was your undergrad. Yeah. So President Joe Biden um, told 10 Republican senators, according to reports, that their counter offer on the COVID-19 stimulus package was, quote, way too small. And Chuck Schumer, the Senate minor- majority leader, oops, almost demoted him, Uh, said that he was told the message that was received was to, quote-unquote, go big. So that is a good sign that he is aware that it is not doing enough because it's not. Go big, meaning it's still going to be less than what Joe Biden's calling for of 1.9. Joe Biden should have gone in saying $2.9 trillion. That's our negotiating point. So you can negotiate down to 1.9 or 2.2. Republicans don't expect that $600 million is going to be the number. They start with something ridiculously low. I don't know. It's. I wonder if everybody else is as frustrated by all of this. Or, or if people are, I don't want to be pejorative about it, but cheerleaders. They're just, oh, yeah, oh, it's so great. It's not Trump, so everything they do is good. I would advise against that. Only because that's not the way I'm doing things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think. 657-464-7609. Emails, I doubt it at dollamore.com. I Doubt It is an independent podcast supported by listeners like you via Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as $2 a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you find the show informative, entertaining, or both, go to dollamore.com slash Patreon and choose the contribution level that's right for you. Kevin W. Kevin W. This person did not put their name. I saw that on the email. So I'll just say... Blank. DPP. (laughs) Because that's the beginning of the email. Oh, all right. DPP. Andrew P. Andrew P. Tilly L. Tilly L. J. Row Y. J. Row Y. Stan B. Stan B. Ruth Z. Ruth Z. Twist one up. Twist one up. Cliff W. Cliff W. 
Lindsay R. Lindsay R. And then we would love to give a special shout out to Louise D. Louise D. Because she upped her pledge. Long time yes. supporter. Long time. Bought us a, a, a Fuego box. Mm-hmm. The hot sauce company. Yep. Which years we, ago, and we still have the box. The, we do the still contents have that. are no longer in there, but <laughs> it was such right. a cool box that we kept it, and we did move it. Now to the there's new like uh, electronic stuff in it. Yes, we use it as storage. Yeah, yeah. Little little secondary gift. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks you guys. We appreciate all your support. Um, it has been a, a wild ride since we started the move, and uh, we appreciate you hanging with us. And um, sticking around relative to the support of the show, helping produce the content that we produce, helping move the conversation forward, one podcast at a time, as has been said. All right, moving on. Stalemocracy, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So let's talk a little bit more about uh, Joe Biden and ramping up to pandemic relief. NPR, Yamish Alcender, the great and grand and wonderful Yamish Alcender, who was uh, the, the focus of Donald Trump's ire so many times, being a black female reporter in the White House press pool. Uh, she did a report for NPR and talks a little bit more in detail about the Biden um, pandemic relief package. So just quickly, she doesn't work for NPR. She works for uh, PBS News. Oh, that's Hour. right. Yeah. God damn it. <laughs> Brittany with the on the spot fact check. Yeah. Late this afternoon, President Biden welcomed the group of Republican senators to the White House. He again called for quick action for Americans struggling in the COVID economy. The invitation came quickly after 10 Republican senators sent the president a letter outlining their counterproposal to his $1.9 trillion COVID plan. They urged Biden to negotiate rather than force through his bill solely on Democratic votes. The GOP group, led by Senator Susan Collins of Maine, presented a $618 billion plan. That's less than a third of Biden's plan. It includes $160 billion for vaccines, testing, treatment, and personal protective equipment. It also counters the president's proposed direct payment of $1,400 to most Americans, with $1,000 targeted to individuals who earn up to $40,000 a year. In addition, it calls for $50 billion in aid to small businesses. The GOP plan also provides $20 billion for K-12 through schools. Biden is proposing $130 billion for K-12 through schools. And for extended federal unemployment benefits through June, Biden proposed extending unemployment insurance programs through September. Republicans also zero out Biden's plan to provide $350 billion in emergency funding for state and local governments. Whoa. Today, White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said at the meeting President Biden would not accept or make any offers. She made clear he wants to go big. The risk is not that it is uh, too big, this package. The risk is that it is too small. His view is that uh, the size of the package needs to be commensurate with the crisis crises we're facing. Today's talks came as the Congressional Budget Office projected that this year's economic growth will surge. But without any new stimulus bill, the nation's workforce will not return to pre-pandemic levels until 2024. The overall unemployment rate is expected to continue declining through 2026. The president and his supporters argue that fresh stimulus is also essential to ramp up vaccine distribution. Today, White House coronavirus advisor Andy Slavitt voiced his frustration with the pace to date. When the rollout of the vaccine first began in December and early January, it's no secret that the program got off to a slow start. This slow start obviously caused a delay in people getting their first doses. But not only did this delay first doses, but it created a backlog of second doses that have been sitting in states waiting for the three to four week period to pass before they can be administered. Ultimately, congressional Democrats insist these are all good reasons to act on pandemic relief now with or without the support of Republicans. They are pressing the president to move quickly without giving ground. 
Yes, that is the key right there. I smashed my chin into the mic as I was coming in. Hopefully, <laughs> I, you're not looking at the screen to see if it picked it up. I can't see it anymore. We don't have a system like we used to have. Oh, okay. I, just right here. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, I know a little bit of that was a repeat of some of the stuff that I went through in comparing the the Biden proposal to the Republicans' proposal. Um, there was also an added... Uh, tidbit there about the difference in unemployment support. Obviously, Republicans are calling for a reduction in unemployment benefits and also not wanting them to last as long. So pretty much at every turn, the Republicans are trying to say, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, y'all. Yeah, it's been a pan- it's been a year of the pandemic. Many people have been out of work. Many people are behind on their rent for months and months, and somehow everyone is just supposed to figure it out. Yeah. Meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile, well, I've got this clip here, and I really don't know how to transition to it, but there's this clip where Tony Fauci was on with Dana Perino and Bill Hammer Mm -hmm. at Fox News. Yeah. And he's been making the rounds. Apparently, he was on The Daily recently, New York Times podcast. And a lot is being asked because, you know, in the first days out of being with the Trump administration, people want to know, hey, man, how was that? That was crazy, right? Yeah. That's a natural question that people are curious about and they want to know the answer to. Well, especially because of the way things went. Yeah, for sure. It's also like, hey, how'd you get out of there without being fired? I mean, there's all kinds of questions that people are they want to know the answers to. Right. And of course, well, there was just this moment where he he owns him. He owns Bill Hemmer, who I didn't know. I mean, he works at Fox News. I don't know why I didn't know it. But I didn't know he was this much of a Hannity-like hack. Of the population yeah, it's before. Tough, it's tough for people to minute. think about light at the end of the tunnel with that. I have one last question. Turn over to Bill. Um, this morning, I listened to your interview on The Daily, which is the New York Times Daily podcast. It was with their science and health reporter. And in of the 28 minutes that uh, I listened to, I think it lasted 28 in 30 seconds, 24 of those minutes were spent asking you, uh, our infectious disease expert, about your relationship with President Trump. And you're very willing to answer a lot of those questions, and I know that those questions are irresistible for reporters to ask. But is there a law of diminishing returns to continue to answer questions about that relationship if the crisis is as acute as you say? I agree with you, Dana. And I really, I mean, after that interview, I said to myself, we really got to look forward and, 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 and ahead and just put that behind us. And I totally agree with you. So looking forward, I'm really not enthusiastic at all about re-examining what happened back then rather than looking forward to what we need to do now. You bring that's, a very that's, good- that's a fair answer, Dr. Fauci. Good morning, Bill Hemmer, and thank you for coming back today. Uh, I heard a lot of interviews with you over the weekend. It just seems like there's this aggressiveness toward the Trump administration. I mean, you, you, you're the most respected man in America on this topic. Well, why, why do you even feel the obligation to answer these questions? And by, well, by you know, the way, when, he- when you were at the White House, no one prevented you from talking, did they? Uh, no, that's why I got into trouble. What do you mean? Well, it wasn't happy about some of the things that I said. And here again, we're getting into rehashing right. it again. <laughs> okay. I think we should do what Dana just suggested, namely put that behind us and take a look at the problems we have ahead. Okay. And not at, be at, at 937 <laughs> on this Tuesday morning, January 26th. We will mark this moment, doctor, and I'm ready to move on with you as well. Why are we rejoining the World Health Organization? (laughs) Update, they're not ready to move on. Yeah. And this proves it right there. I mean, Dana Perino wants to act like it's Anthony Fauci who can't resist talking about this stuff, and he could just refuse to answer these questions, but it's just so juicy that he wants to talk about it. And then Bill Hemmer's asking about it right after she says that. As soon as, as, as Fauci started saying well we're falling right back into this this is what dana just talked about she's you can she's visibly uncomfortable like laughing uncomfortably like uh right we're doing the same thing i just said yeah well not we he bill hammer bill hammer who by the way just what a just a a sycophant just ass kisser well, I, I talk about this with you often because we used to have Fox News, I would say, at the start of the show, really, and Fox News used to be on. And I always ask you, 
were these people always like this or have I just changed? Like, who's changed? Have they changed or have I changed? They've certainly gotten worse. And even when we did watch Fox News years ago, uh, seven, seven, eight years ago, there were only certain programs we would watch. Like, we never watched Hannity. We never watched O'Reilly. Mm-hmm. It was like, I think we watched Megyn Kelly mm-hmm. and obviously Shep Smith. Mm-hmm. And then Red Eye, which was the show with Greg Gutfeld, who also turned into a goddamn maniac who he was not like he is now at all when he had his show Red Eye. Right. So, yeah, I think it's probably a little bit of a combination of both, but far more of a change from Fox News. They've gotten, for sure, more radical. They have, absolutely. Because not only did Donald Trump drag the Republican Party more radical, more openly radical... He dragged Fox News with them. Hmm. So that's what I think. Anyway, speaking of radical and criticism of the other side, it, it actually brings me, it's a, it, what, that question you just raised was, was great because it makes, it, this is a question I have for myself often because I try to reflect on past things that I used to believe and, and people I don't like now but also didn't like then. And there are, for instance, the Clintons. Obviously, I didn't like him when I was conservative mm-hmm. years, you know, 20, 25 years ago. And I don't like him now. Mm-hmm. And I think I have valid reasons for that. Bill Maher is another one that I have never really liked. I've, I've always found him smug, um, not committed to the facts and the data and the research and science. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't like him. Anyway, there's this moment well, from this last week's show. Well, let's talk about that for show. a second, about why sure. you think he's anti, what did you say? Anti-science, anti- Data, research. Yeah, yeah. so he's been anti-vax, and he has been anti-GMO. He's also an anti-trans bigot. He is someone who will try to dance around these topics and act like he's just kind of asking questions. Right, right. But it's clear over the years when you connect the dots- he's He's asking questions about settled science, like there's questions to be asked. Well, I mean, he he clearly expresses concerns about vaccines, and because of his very prominent platform, is also informing his audience to have some of that, too, Yeah, where they may start to think, oh, shit, Bill Maher is smart, he's funny, he cares about the things I care about, and he also happens to be freaked out by vaccines. Maybe I should be freaked out by vaccines. Um, that's exactly what happens. And that's why his show is so irresponsible. And he had Brett Weinstein and Heather Hang on. They are I the- don't know who she is. I know he's either internet uh, intellectual dark web or internet intellectual dark web adjacent. Well, they're married. Oh, okay. So he was the professor who, in 2017, resigned, I think, from Evergreen State College in protest. And he is a member of the Intellectual Dark Web. He is in league with Jordan Peterson, Douglas Murray, those types. One of my favorite new podcasts, Decoding the Gurus, uh, actually took on the Weinstein brothers. That's Brett and Eric Weinstein. And... Uh, they do what the title suggests, decoding the gurus, is they go through these people that have created these prominent followings. Um, they don't just do people in the intellectual dark web. They also have done contrapoints. And uh, they kind of go through their content and go through the things that may be problematic. And for Brett Weinstein, you kind of see some of this come out on his on his talk here with Belmar because they're talking about the origin of COVID-19, where it came from, and also vaccines. And Bill Maher seems to really go for the idea that it was created, COVID-19, in a lab in China. And this particular clip isn't the full segment with them. But it gives you a flavor of just how much focus Bill Maher wanted to bring around to the the, the virus being lab created, which is a conspiracy theory that's out there. Um, and he keeps so this is not a a uh, a zero to ten with no cuts in between. There are cuts here, but it just gives you a flavor for how the interview went down. It is so refreshing to see people have a nuanced conversation. Uh, you're, you're, I mean, f- among obviously medically sophisticated people. 
but it's interesting. You constantly interrupt yourselves when you're talking about this to say, oh, shit, I hope we don't get in trouble for saying this. You're just having a nuanced adult conversation as opposed to mere cheerleading. We've heard a lot recently about the fact that maybe the virus did start in the lab. Let's talk about that. The fact that there is this lab, I think it's the only one in the world quite like it, in Wuhan, where it started. It would almost be a conspiracy theory to think it didn't start in the lab. <laughs> right? It certainly is a 50-50, would you say that? Oh, uh, it's far more likely than that. As a matter of fact, right. I said, I think in June, that the chances that it came from the lab looked to me to be about 90%. Okay. At first, I was going to say, oh, when they make me get this, I'm going to, I want the mRNA because it's new. I feel like it's an improvement over the old ones. Then I heard you say, no, <laughs> even though you're a little squirrely about it tonight, I heard you say you want the one where they have a little piece of the virus in it, the, old, the way they did it for many, many years. Then I heard about the lab. And I was like, wait, if they made that one in the lab, do I really want a little piece of that virus in me? Is it possible there's something in a lab-made virus that is different and would make a vaccine different than the ones we've had for decades, which were made from viruses that occurred in nature? The SARS-CoV-2 virus is wrapped in spike proteins, and the idea is to give those spike proteins to the immune system so that it recognizes them immediately if you ever get infected. And from that point of view, the, the, the vaccines that are currently available are equivalent. They're all delivering... So you're not worried if it was made in the lab that it would be different? That a vaccine would be different, made from that, that was that came from a lab instead of nature itself, which, I mean, the lab is taking nature itself, of course. Viruses are always mutating. That's why flu shots are very often so ineffective, right. because you're getting the vaccine for, that's why I never wanted a flu shot. All right, Brett and Heather, thank you very much. Time to meet our panel. So the thing that these these people do very well, and when I say these people, I mean the intellectual dark web types like Brett Weinstein, like Jordan Peterson, they talk with authority. And when they speak, you feel like they have authority. I certainly felt like that when I'm listening to him. The confidence that he exudes when he talks about how it's uh, like a 90% chance that COVID-19 was yeah. created in a lab in China. And you wonder, huh, how can someone who sounds so confident and who's speaking so calmly, uh, they're not Alex Jones. This is this is strange. Is this someone that I should pay attention to? That's what's so dangerous about all of this. And I, I should have clarified when I talked about the protests um, at Evergreen where he lost his job. It was the, the day of absence where ethnic minority students and faculty voluntarily stay away from campus to highlight their contributions to the the college but they had actually changed that tradition and asked white participants to stay off campus and to attend a program on race issues and the on-campus program was designated for people of color so he didn't appreciate that he and his wife became features in this intellectual dark web for this reason, similar to how Jordan B. Peterson uh, refusing to use pronouns became kind of a similar thing. All of these, even Nicholas Christakis, the guy who got yelled at by the students on Yale's campus for Halloween costume, the letter he sent out. I believe he was right in that case, or more right than wrong anyway. And he's used that particular instance to turn himself into just one of these idiots. One of these intellectual dark web morons who, who there's no racism anywhere people. It's just it's such a weird knee jerk thing. And so I, I also don't appreciate the way that they're talking about it. Bill Maher's framing it as though we're just we're just adults having a very nuanced conversation about the different possibilities that exist. And no, you're not, because most scientists you're sowing doubt, most scientists agree that coronavirus most likely emerged in the natural world and spread from animals to humans. Yeah. And many senior American officials have said in private that evidence pointing to the lab theory is circumstantial at best. So not 90%. Oh no, it's not 50, 50. 
there's more like a 90% chance. Right. And unfortunately, Bill Maher is the same person who, when talking about climate change, would say most scientists would agree that climate change is created by human behavior and it's a serious problem. And so he would still use scientific consensus. But in this situation, he's not using scientific consensus. And then at the end, the dig there about not getting a flu shot even. I mean, he's just, he's a provocateur. Mm-hmm. He's got his show on HBO. He made his he made a movie about being an atheist. He made his name being an atheist. Even when he had a show on network TV, he was always trying to be edgy and push the envelope. And that's why that got canceled before cancel culture was even a thing, hmm. because there are consequences when you say stupid shit. Yeah. But apparently not when you're on HBO. Yeah, well, and he is defended. He is defended by liberals. And for some reason, when you criticize Bill Maher, a lot of people get upset. And I think it's still kind of that tribalism where he's one of us. He's in the he's in the pack. and Or he's anti-Donald Trump, so he has to be defended. Right, and it makes you wonder, is he really, if he's saying these things? I mean, t- sowing doubt about vaccines is, is dangerous. Yes. Especially in this pandemic when we need as many people as possible to get vaccinated so that we can reach herd immunity. I mean, everyone... And he's promoting conspiracy theories. Yeah, everyone talking about wanting to get back to normal, that can't happen unless we follow scientific recommendations. Listen, he's doing the same exact thing that people who don't believe... that Who believe 9-11 was an inside job. Look, I'm just asking questions. Right. I'm just asking questions. Right. That's all I'm doing. And you don't get credit for that. You don't get credit as being a fantastic scientific thinker, not when you're asking questions about things that are... Very extremely wildly unlikely. Yes. Anyway, so I just uh, that that clip came across uh, our our desks, as it were, mm-hmm. and we didn't want to let it go without talking about it. Because one, I'm not a fan of Bill Maher. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've made that abundantly clear. I hope I have. You have, I think. <laughs> I think people know that. But I wanted to talk about it. As always, we'd love to know what you think, even if you dissent. That number should already be saved in your phone under I Doubt It Podcast. 657-464-7609. Email those voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. So one thing we've been talking about on the show is the insurrection that happened at the Capitol. And particularly... AOC's comments about how she was afraid that she was going to die and how she couldn't reveal more information until she felt she was able to do so. Well, that moment came this week when she did, I think it was an over 80 minute Instagram live where she took people through not just the day of the Capitol insurrection, but the days leading up to the Capitol insurrection to kind of take everyone through how the hostility was building throughout the week yeah, and how there were signs that there was going to be trouble and that there wasn't enough done to protect everybody. And in that Instagram live, one of the things that she revealed was that she's a sexual assault survivor. And she got emotional when she talked about this and also apologized to people close to her who may be watching and learning things about her for the first time. And she talked about the ways that trauma can compound and then talks about the traumatic experience that she had at the Capitol where she genuinely felt her life was in danger and that she was going to die. So we think that it's important to not only talk about it, but have you hear it from her directly, hear her story directly. We're going to play all 80 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to do that. No. Well, I pulled... About six minutes of clips. The first clip, if you've already listened to it, you can skip ahead. The first clip we play is two minutes and 19 seconds. And the second clip is four minutes and eight seconds. Just to give you a baseline so you can hit that 30 second or 15 second skip to get to the to the, to, to our talking about it. But, but this is important. This is a member of Congress who, just like any American doing a job, should feel safe at work. And just because you're a controversial member of Congress, look, Marjorie Taylor Greene 
shouldn't feel like she might be murdered walking into her job. Yeah, she's a dangerous nutter. But she shouldn't feel endangered. Now, in this case, she's the one who's making people feel in danger. Right. But AOC talked a lot about this, that not only could she not trust anything of what was going on, didn't know there was no information, but even when cops did respond, she wasn't so sure that they were there to protect her. So well, let's start the first clip. And in it, this is her, I believe, unaware that the Capitol has been overrun by insurrectionists. And someone is pounding on her door trying to find her. Where is she? And she's needs to hide. So she hides within her office space. Bathroom. And I immediately realized that I shouldn't have gone into the bathroom. I should have jumped in the closet. And so I, I opened the door when all of a sudden I hear that whoever was trying to get inside got into my office. Um, and then I realized that it's too late, that it's too late for me to get into the closet. And so I, I go back in and I, I hide back in, um, in the bathroom behind the door. And then I just start to hear these yells of, where is she? Where is she? And I just thought to myself, they got inside. And so I hide behind my door like this, like I'm here and the bathroom door starts going like this, like the bathroom door is behind me or rather in front of me. And I'm like this and the door hinges right here. And I just hear, where is she? Where is she? And um, this was the moment where I thought everything was over. Um, and the weird thing about moments like these is that you lose all sense of time. Um, in retrospect, um, maybe it was four seconds, maybe it was five seconds, maybe it was 10 seconds, maybe it was one second, I don't know. It felt like my brain was able to have so many thoughts in that moment um, between these screams and these yells of where is she, where is she? And so I go down and I just, I mean, I thought I was going to die. Um, and I had a lot of thoughts. You Keep in mind that if not for Donald Trump and the Republican Party, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez would just, she would just be a, 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 a second term congresswoman right now. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't have the notoriety and having, uh, of having been demonized by the president of the United States if it weren't for the Republicans. She would just be another second term congresswoman. Mm-hmm. So when there's a mob outside, how would they know to target this particular woman mm-hmm. who I'm sure has had her share of death threats because she's AOC. We've had our share of death threats. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what's like for her. It's probably constant. Constant. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, clip number two, kind of the aftermath. Once this individual identifies themselves as Capitol Police. And I come out, and this man is a Capitol Police officer. But the story doesn't end. Um, It's a Capitol Police officer. There was no partner, was not yelling, you know, Capitol Police, et cetera, et cetera. But then what, but then it didn't feel right. Um, because he was looking at me 
with a tremendous amount of anger and hostility. And um, things weren't adding up. Like there was no partner there. And there was, no one was yelling. He wasn't yelling like, this is Capitol Police, this is Capitol Police. And he was looking at me in all of this anger and, and hostility. And at first, you know, in, in my brain and in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I just came from this super intense experience just now. Maybe I'm reading into this, right? Like maybe I'm projecting, um, maybe I'm projecting like something onto him that, that like maybe I'm just seeing anger, but maybe he's not trying to be angry. Um, but I talked to G, my legislative director, after the fact, and he said, no, I didn't know if he was there to help us or hurt us either. And um, and G was actually like, th this man came with so much hostility that, um, that G was sizing him up and didn't know if he was gonna have to fight him. Like that is how, that is how like aggressive the situation was in that moment. And we couldn't even tell, we couldn't read if like this was a good situation or a bad situation. Um, it was so like, you know, like so many other communities in this country, like just that presence doesn't necessarily give you a clear signal if you're safe or not. And so the situation did not feel okay. And then he just looks at me and yells at me and he just goes, go down and then go to this other building. Um, I'm not going to like name the specific building, but he basically says, go down and go to this building. But he just says the name of the building. Doesn't say anything else, but we're so rattled in that moment. And he, the situation felt so volatile with this officer that I run over, I grab my bag, and we just start running over to that building. Now, mind you, um, we weren't escorted. He didn't like come with us or follow us um, or anything like that. So G and I just start running to this other building. We run down and we run to this other building. And it wasn't until we get to that building that we realized he didn't give us a specific location. Um, he didn't give us a room. He didn't give us a place to go to. He just gave us, he said, go down. He told us to go to a certain level of a certain building. And that level of that building was street level. And so we can hear, um, because the buildings were not secure yet, um, and this is around the time when the Capitol was being stormed, um, that we can like hear all of these rioters behind the glass of the doors, <laughs> you know? And we have no specific location to go to. We're in the hallway. We're in like like the Dunkin' Donuts of the basement, and we don't have any secure place to go. So as you can tell, she's giving a lot of detail, taking everyone through what happened. That's why it's an 80-minute Instagram Live. We're not going to play the whole thing, like we said, but this kind of gives you um, a preview of what it is. And I would recommend that if you have the time, you go and listen to the whole thing. I mean, I just played it when I was getting ready for work this week. And it takes you 80 minutes? Well, <laughs> most of it. I'm decent. <laughs> and if you listen to a podcast while you're getting ready for work or whatever it might be, you can just turn that on. And I, I think it's powerful for many reasons. We don't often see people in power, especially women in power, being able to display such vulnerability and emotion and talk about these things. Yeah, it's awesome. It's strong. It is. Fact. It's very strong. Being able to show that type of vulnerability is a strength. And she also talked about how this is her story and there are many stories and she was she was very careful to ensure that she's making space for other people's stories too. But what happens is she runs into Katie Porter and takes refuge with Katie Porter. And Katie Porter was interviewed on MSNBC 
to get some of her thoughts on this situation. And she gives a little bit more insight into just how much fear there was for AOC. Did you know uh, just how deep uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez's fears were at that time? Well, at first, she, you know, she saw me, um, she, and we waved. I went into my office, and a couple seconds later, she knocked, and she said, you know, could we, could we come in? And I said, of course. Um, and she began to, uh, you know, her staffer was trying to describe what had happened. And Alex is, is really usually, like, unfailingly polite um, and very personable, and she wasn't even really talking to me. She was opening up doors, and, and I was like, can I help you? Like, what are you looking for? And she said, I'm looking for where I'm going to hide. And the thing that will always stay with me, the two memories that really, you know, especially as a mom, I think were just really powerful for me was when she said, you know, I, I was saying, well, don't worry. I'm a mom. I'm calm. I've got everything here we need. We could live for like a month in this office. And she said, I just hope I get to be a mom. I hope I don't die today. And the, the second thing is she was wearing... Um, heels. And I remember her saying to me, I I was wearing flats. And I remember her saying to me, I knew I shouldn't have worn heels. How am I going to run? And we went and we found her a pair of sneakers to wear from one of my staffers so that she could run if she needed to literally run for her life. How long uh, did the fear of losing life hold? So, did you cut that off for him to save him from himself or the question that he was? I guess. Yeah, maybe. I mean, part of it is. Unconsciously, I did. Part of it is, what do you say after that? Yeah, for sure. For I mean, sure. you just kind of. Lawrence O'Donnell. You have to sit with that for a moment because it's it's a lot to take in. Yeah. I mean, it is a, it is a situation where you're wondering, well, what am I, supp- what am I supposed to say next? I yeah. mean, we all kind of just need to sit with the weight of this. Um. Which is not great for live TV. Right. Of course, <laughs> of course, the usual suspects have taken to the internet to shame AOC for all kinds of reasons. They are doubting her story of being a sexual assault survivor. Steven fucking Crowder. They're accusing her of being dramatic when it comes to this situation. And like I said, the usual suspects. 99.99999% of which have never been in a life-threatening emergency situation who don't know what it's like to actually fear for your life. Well, they're also the people who want to bring a shotgun to the grocery store. Yeah, to buy a b- bag of uh, flaming Hot Cheetos. They need the a handgun. Yeah, yeah, the danger that they might face there. But, Cowards. But then they shame her for her reaction. Can, can I talk a little bit about um, some of those people, not even some of those people, just people online, though, are, are saying that, you know, Maybe the cop was was um, worked up in the moment, and that was a, you know all of that is true. Th- there could be explanations uh, between what she experienced and what the cop displayed, but there are questions that remain for me that make me really that lend credibility to what she said. Like, why was there no esco- escort for a sitting member of Congress to a safe place? He just go that way. Go to the, the, this building on this floor when there's a mob of marauders outside. No real directions. Th- those things really lead me to believe this needs to be investigated. And they could find out very easily who this guy is. There's cameras everywhere. Everywhere in the Capitol. Well, and also... Th- for people that are saying, well, he might have just been caught up in the moment, stressed out. Yeah, you're supposed to be different. That's right. That's why you have that job. And it's for sure a stressful job. And I totally understand. But you have training for that. And you're supposed to be able to calm others and handle the situation in a way that is different from the general public. That's why you have that job. That's why cops aren't allowed to, oh, the suspect is fleeing. Well, just shoot him in the back. Sorry, I got all amped up. I just shot him in the back. Nope, that's not how it works. You should be held to a higher standard. Mm -hmm. Even if you are just a Capitol Police, you know, effectively like a security guard. 
not a lot of violence that happens around the Capitol. They're not normal beat cops who have to deal with normal beat cop things. Anyway, and I listen, I, I don't have any connections anymore, but I was friends with many, many Capitol Police officers when I worked on Capitol Hill for those few years. So I I don't have animus is what I'm saying. You feel you feel the pressure to uh, ensure that they know that you were their friend. You mean all the time. all those people, all those people who are listening to the show who yeah who are capital police out, officers yeah and they knew me then yeah they're like um <laughs> wait a minute I'm I need to know that Jesse is actually on our side even with all this criticism that's for sure for sure what was in my head <laughs> that was that was it you nailed it Brittany. yeah yeah. I could see it on your face, so I know. Thank you for clarifying. I would be terrified. Wouldn't be able to sleep tonight knowing that there might be a Capitol Police officer out there who I worked with 20-some years ago who is thinking I wasn't their friend. Yeah. Or that they weren't my friend. Yes. I'm really big leaguing it now. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'd love to know what you think about all of this. Is there anything else, Brittany? I don't think so. 657-464-7609. Email us a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash idoubtitpodcast. That would be fantastic. Anyway, we'll see you next time. I'm Brittany Page. I'm Jesse Dollamore. This has been I Doubt It.